The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Sacred Change Makers podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is my good friend and colleague, Paul Zelizer. Now, Paul and I have known each other for almost 10 years, and I worked with him as my coach back in 2019 as I was considering starting the Sacred Changemakers brand. And it was Paul who was actually the catalyst for me beginning this podcast. So this is a very special conversation. But let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Since 1993, Paul has worked with and led programs for over 30,000 leaders working for positive change in and through their organizations. He started his business in 2008, making him one of the first business coaches to focus on the needs of social entrepreneurs and impact business leaders. In 2017, he founded Awarepreneurs as a way to amplify the practices successful social enterprise leaders use. Today, he's best known as the host of the Awarepreneurs podcast, one of the world's leading social entrepreneur podcasts. And Paul maintains a busy coaching and consulting practice, working with impact-focused founders, leaders, and companies. And this is a main thread in our conversation today. Now, one thing I can always count on when talking to Paul is that our conversation will go deep. And today was no different. Paul takes us on a journey of personal growth and transformation, sharing his experiences of connecting with influential individuals, navigating the dynamics of large companies, and also about the importance of place in the world. From discussing the challenges faced by companies like Google and Zappos in the era of social media, to exploring the importance of sustainability and justice, Paul's insights offer something of a fresh perspective on the role of meaningful work, building genuine connections, and the pursuit of a more sustainable and regenerative way of living. We have some deep discussions on topics such as Tikkun Olam, the power of community and the urgency of addressing climate issues. So this episode is sure to inspire you to kind of take a step back from your own life, reflect on your values and discover ways that you too can make more of an impact in your own life. So I encourage you to listen in as we delve into the complexities of the modern world and the quest for meaningful work, justice and sustainability. We do talk about the challenges faced by tech giants to the importance of connecting with nature. And like I said, Paul's insights are just so clear, right? It's like a a strong, clear vibration that gives you this refreshing perspective on the intersection between business, personal values and planetary well-being. 
We do talk through um, many different things from Indigenous cultures to the UN Sustainable Development Goals as we invite you to really deepen your understanding of what it means to be a sacred change maker and discover how you too can contribute to positive change in your spheres of influence. I'm sure you'll find this to be an inspiring conversation that will leave you feeling motivated and ready to create a more sustainable and purposeful future. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my good friend and colleague, Paul Zelizer. Hey, Paul, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, thanks for having me, Jane. And thanks for congratulations on doing this for a while. Like we were just thinking back and like, yeah, this is not your first episode. And and we know that podcasts, you know, sometimes people start them with excitement and they don't always keep going. So yeah, congratulations and thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. And I have to apologize that it's taken me so long to invite you to the podcast because what our listeners don't know is you were actually the catalyst for this starting. So if there's any listeners that are thinking of starting a podcast, please go and see Paul and what he's up to because he's really good. And you really helped me ground this in a really strong message very early on. So I really want to thank you because I have to say, Paul, it's the my most favorite thing that I do in my business. It, right? Isn't it awesome? <laughs> like I might, listeners, I might be just a tiny little bit, (laughs) little bit passionate about podcasting and maybe have helped a few people get excited about it. I'm so glad to hear that because sometimes you'll, I tried it. It's not. Yeah, but no, same thing. I just love what it opens up, Jane, and and how I am able to be of service with uh, what was the Greek philosopher? I can't remember um, who said, give me a, a lever long enough and a pivot which mm-hmm. to place it on and I shall move the world, right? Yes. Podcasting is by far the biggest lever that I've ever had. Um, it's a it's an incredible honor. And if any of your listeners are thinking about it, it takes work. I'm not going to pretend, but if you're struggling to feel like you want to have more impact than you currently know how, something like a podcast where you're able to... Um, have your information go out at scale and do that with care is by far the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first questions uh, that I always like to ask our guests is, you know, they've, our listeners have just heard your, your real life bio, um, but I'd really like to get a sense of who's the human underneath that bio, Paul. I mean, who's he? Tell us a little bit about him. <laughs> who's he? Oh gosh. What <laughs> The, the honest truth, you know, Jane, um, these days I'm like, what am I doing? There's a roomy line that says, whoever brought me to this prison for drunks must come and take me home. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit like, like, wow, okay, humans, boy, I love humans. And, you know, it's, it's wild to be alive at this moment mm-hmm. in time as somebody who thinks a lot about, uh, a lot of themes that haven't been celebrated a lot in modern culture and other cultures at other times that you were just talking about a big trip you just had Jane mm. um I was on a big trip this summer and other places other times things that I care a lot about living in harmony with the earth and mm. eating good quality food and spending time with the ones you love and trying to pay attention to some sense of equality. Those things were um, highly valued in certain societies and continue to be in certain societies. But the modern world, uh, this human is like, 
what how, why now universe and and how did i get here and um so that's a little bit about the human you know i've been thinking about justice and sustainability for as long as i've been alive um and uh try to practice that both in my work work that i get paid for but like i'm an obsessive gardener and and try to grow as much food as i humanly know how to do and try to keep getting better at that for fun i go do crazy things in the woods i'm a i'm a ultra marathoner and do races and multi-day trips in the woods and those times with just a few people i care about in nature are some of the most sacred moments of my life mm -hmm. um so yeah, a human that cares about real conversation, the human that cares about quality over quantity, and a human that is trying to say, wow, it's kind of a mess out there in this planet. I love humans. And what can I do to try to help us find some way of living on this planet that's more sustainable than what we're currently doing? Uh, those are mm -hmm. things that I uh, think about a lot and put a lot of time and energy into. Mm. And I have to say, that's what I love about you. I mean, our, our title for today is How Impact in Business is Changing. But I know you to be a real pioneer in the kind of social impact, entre social entrepreneur space. So I've never known you not to be in that space. So what do you, when you look back on your life and your career, what do you, what do you think about were the things that brought you into this space? I mean, how, how have you become this, this human who cares so much about our world and our humanity and equality? Well, that's, a, that's a great question, Jane. One thing about me, and this is not in any way matter, I'm going to tell you something about being Jewish, but let me just qualify this. In the branch of Judaism that I come from, if you say you uh, you want to convert the, the tradition, no, you don't. This is really hard. Go away. <laughs> you need to come back three times. So I'm going to talk to you about some of my Jewish values, but I am in no way trying to recruit anybody. And even if you did come, the people who were in charge of it would send you in. So you don't want to do this. It's a hard path. So anyway, take a deep breath. Um, there, there is a frame in Judaism that's um, I, I just love that wisdom in our tradition, which is tikkun or tikkun alam. Um, tikkun means to work towards repair of the world, or uh, tikkun alam is oftentimes translated as the great healing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of wisdom there that made sense to me and it was hard to reconcile the background is i grew up in westchester county one of the per capita school districts the public school districts in westchester new york have one of the highest per student per year reimbursement rates in the country so in other words pretty wealthy place Mm -hmm. um, we weren't extreme wealthy, but upper middle class. And it was a very, uh, people lived in big houses and drove, you know, the, the, it was New York city executives and it, my dad was a CPA. So I grew up in that environment and I was like, my dad grew up, um, one of his first jobs, he was an accountant in an oil company. And then he went to a cigarette company. And uh, this was the time that we started to find out that the cigarette companies were hiding data that's um, cigarettes cause cancer. So like 
my little brain was like, all right, it's nice to live this way, but there's something that we can't talk about where I grew up, right? And yet my wisdom tradition that I was at least started with was telling me that we're supposed to work towards justice and repair the world. And it was a very complicated dance for this human growing up in that environment, given how I'm wired, um, kind of naturally a minimalist, still in my mid fifties, go out with a friend and sleep. Sometimes I don't even take a tent. I just take a little bivy sack. <laughs> like, you know, like that's one of the things I do for fun, right? It's like me and my trail running shoes and a 20 pound pack and a friend and I'll be gone for four days. Um, like people are like, what? Not 20 pound. No, sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's a 15 pound pack. Like, you know, so growing up in that environment, how I'm wired, it just was not the easiest path. Let's just say that in that wisdom of here's what a good human life looks like somebody who cares about relationships and tries to pay attention to justice and tries to work on the places where there's unjust things happening um that meant a lot to me but it wasn't always the values i saw where people were working really hard to maintain the big house or the bmw or whatever and uh that was very hard as a young person, but it was also very formative. I was like, I don't understand what's happening here, but I'm going to try to crack this nut. Like how did humans get so distant from most of our wisdom traditions that encouraged us to live with attention to relationships, balance to the earth, celebrate good food and suddenly the, how, the size of our house or what kind of watch we wear is the most important thing in some people's lives. It didn't make sense. And I wanted to crack that nut. And I don't know that I figured it out, but I understand it a little better than I used to. Let's just say that. Mm. So you must share with us. I mean, what, what the insights that you've learned over the years about, you know, that's kind of helped you to deepen your understanding of why we are where we are today in the modern world. Yeah, there's a lot of focus on in some uh, subcultures of whoever has the most toys wins. There's a lot of focus on money and power and, you know, to the victors go the spoils, right? Like by any, by any means necessary is there's a, there's a large contingent of humans in power of planet earth right now that are um, seem to believe that you know any uh as long as you don't physically kill somebody um there's not much that should get in the way of pursuit of money and power and those who have more money and power and all the associated privileges and toys and other things that come with it are worth more um, in a social and human culture sense than people who have less access to money and power and the things that come with them. And that way of uh, prioritizing who's important, who should be in decision-making roles, who should run companies, who should run governments. Um, if you make that a way of raising humans and culturating humans and you create culture that the majority of people in the leadership positions of the world believe that you get the world we have 
So what would you like to see change? You know, when I'm a, a while back, so so my first career, I figured out I had to try to help people. So my first career was in community <laughs> mental health day. And it was just like, you know, I was, it was awesome. It, I was young. I started as a kind of activist community organizer, got a master's degree in community mental health, did that for 15 years, most of that in New Mexico, where I still live. And it was awesome. And it was exhausting, right? We were working, bringing restorative practices back to native communities and engaging young men as fathers and trying to um, reduce and prevent domestic violence. It, it was it was awesome work, but to try to both do the work and as I was doing it for a while is oftentimes, I had a master's degree and I became one of the most experienced people in the room pretty quickly. So now I was like running agencies. So we we're trying to both do the work, make sure it was, you know, train people, oversee that the work got done with quality and raise the money, write the grants, meet donors. It was exhausting. And about 15, well, I burned out before 15 years, but by about 50, like 15 years into it, I learned a ton and I was done. And what I realized, at least in this modern um, world that we live in, I just had, a, it sounds like such a simple insight, but it changed my life, which is that in a modern economy, we work, we spend more of our waking hours at work than anything else we do. Mm. I love my kid. I spend more time working than I do with my kid or my family, my girlfriend. I love to run. I love to be in the garden. I, I, I do volunteer work. I work more than any of that. And I work less than the vast majority of people, at least in America and certainly in America. Um, and in many modern countries, I'd be about average, right? Um, and there's just an incredible concentration of human time and attention in that space. And that was where 15 years, 16 years ago now, when I burned out, I was like, all right, all the horsepower is right there in the world of business and work. And I got to go there partially because trying to like do the change work and fund it as a sort of like, oh, that's nice. Here's a little something, you know, it was like, it was the feel good pot of money, not the like bulk of where the horsepower is. When a new startup starts, they get hundreds of millions. And when a nonprofit does something cool, they might get 10,000 from a donor. And that's a good day. I was like, I got to go over where the horsepower is. So, so that was the insight. And that's, I don't know if it's going to change or not, Jane, mm -hmm. I'm at this point in my life. I know that I feel saner. I like who I meet. I like who I am. And I can at least see changes in the places where I and colleagues are working when I focus on bringing an awareness of how can we use the workplaces? How can we use business? How can we use entrepreneurship for positive change? And I've seen some pretty amazing things happen. Is it going to turn the ship in time or not? I'm not smart enough to know. Um, but I know that like I can sleep at night. Um, I can look my kid in the eye. I love who I'm meeting. I get to work on just incredibly sacred things. Every day I go to work, I feel full of meaning and purpose and it'll either change or it won't. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everything that you're saying is so resonating with me and, and, and our brand here at Sacred Changemakers. And what you don't know, Paul, is since I've come into this space, largely through some of your influence, 
I've now closed all my other businesses. This is all. Oh, I, do I didn't now. know that. Yeah, I know you did. Oh, this was the little side. Yeah. Awesome. But this was the side project. Yeah. And oh, wow. I because know because that. what I want the listeners to hear is this is such an incredibly fulfilling space in which to do like real. I mean, for me, it feels like a calling. It's not just work now. It's kind of gone beyond that. And it's incredibly meaningful for me in as an individual to be in this space and 100%. it's also very challenging it's not <laughs> and we're gonna work. get we're gonna get into that we're yeah. gonna get into that but let's I want to dive deeper into like this this idea of impact in business and yeah. before we kind of go into you know like what you're seeing and how things are changing I'd love to get a sense of how would you define impact for business you know, there's there's many different ways of that, and I don't pretend to have the answer. The the easiest way that to at least maybe start a conversation for somebody who wants to um, get granular and side note, like <laughs> my clients te tease me how many times or like pot long term podcast listeners, like Paul, you only said gritty or granular twice that episode. <laughs> What's wrong, right? So so gritty and granular are two of my favorite words. And so if you want to get granular, a really good starting point, at least for that conversation, is the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Like mm -hmm. really smart people have looked and they've said, hey. You know, the head of the UN right now is getting himself in some pretty hot water because he's saying we are not on a sustainable path if we and this is the head of the UN, if we want life, human life on planet Earth to continue, we need to make some changes. And really smart people all over the world worked on the sustainable development goals. There are 17 of them. You can take a look. Um, I know, Jane, you've done a lot of thinking about that. Probably have talked about it, you know, way more times than I can even count on the podcast. But, you know, it's things like sustainable agriculture and renewable energy and gender equity and a whole water, um, a whole bunch of areas. If we tend to those things, the UN is saying, we can help turn the ship and make life for the long haul sustainable on planet Earth. Are there impact areas that I would feel aligned with outside of those 17 areas? Sure, I am not here to fight like which is which counts as impact or not. But I think because it's the UN and because so many smart people put time and energy there, I, I like to, that, that's a very good reference point to get a sense of the kinds of things when we're talking about impact that um that makes sense to me and that's that's where i like to start the conversation yeah and that makes a lot of sense to me as well um and you know and i've i've seen emerge recently out of sweden um also in in kind of uh in in terms of thinking about why the head of the UN is saying we're not on a sustainable path and that we're not doing the sustainable goals, the internal development goals that have come out of Sweden in the last, I think it's the last 18 months, which is talking about who we need to become to actually achieve those goals, like the inner yeah, journey, yeah. the values base, which yeah. I think complements that very nicely because it's clear, you know, we are, we've had these, these UN SDGs now for a number of years and yet we're not kind of aligning in the way that we'd hoped to be on track for 2030. So, um, but I think it's a great framework and it's certainly the best global framework that we have right now for that. So, you know, 
when you've been in the impact space now and you're a podcaster as well, having these incredible conversations with people at the leading edge of social impact in business. So what have you learned about, you know, how impact is kind of changing as we move nearer to 2030? What are you seeing, Paul? Yeah. So when I had this burnout experience, it was like 2007, 2008. So I needed to reinvent myself and didn't know anything about business, honestly. I mean, I a little bit, but, you know, I was in the nonprofit world and I was, you know, thinking about community mental health and ending violence and community organizing. So I'd studied that master's degree in it, but business, I felt very awkward. And um, mm -hmm. honestly, my own mindset, like I knew I was burning out at least five years before I did. And if I had uh, more either a better sense of the pathway, I would have started that journey earlier. But my, I'm like, I'm a counselor and an organ. I, I don't know anything about business, <laughs> but that it, five years, I did that push pull. So um, full disclosure. And in 2007, 2008, when I was reinventing myself, we didn't even know what to call it. Um, John Mackey had written his book on conscious capitalism somewhere in that ballpark, but was it conscious capitalism or conscious business or was it, you know, social entrepreneurship, which is the label that I, that's the community I feel most aligned with now. Um, there, there, it was hard to even find each other, but there was this very emergent and very dynamic conversation, but it wasn't, we didn't have the UN development goals. We didn't have like every university, like social entrepreneurship is one of the fastest growing college majors on college campuses around the world. It's like, People are looking around, especially young people. Anybody under the age of 35 is looking around and saying, wow, the, we're not doing so well as humans living long term on planet Earth. What are we going to do about it? And this is one of the common places young people especially are leaning into. So one of the things that's changed or, you know, that when I was getting started, it was just like meeting each other. I, I got on Twitter in 2008 when nobody, at least in New Mexico, nobody knew what Twitter was. Social media was not like we didn't even have phones barely. Like the phones were <laughs> terrible in 2008, right? Um, but it was a place where we could talk to each other. And suddenly, like, I got invited to Google and I got invited to Zappos and I got in, I was talking to the chief technology officer of Twitter and the leadership of LinkedIn, because there were all these emergent conversations, even in these very significant companies of like, wow, we're kind of in trouble and we don't know what to do about it. And we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to get. Um, we don't even know how to have the conversation, but you're somebody who's on social media, who's willing to at least talk about these things. And I'd get these messages and, Hey, we're doing this thing. And would you come? And suddenly I'm at Zappos, somebody with no business training whatsoever. <laughs> I'm at Zappos talking to Tony Shea and the leadership team on the day they're handing out t-shirts to their employees saying, thank you for making us a billion dollar a year company. And we're having all these conversations about where are these very large companies going and and how do we bring more sustainable awareness so i got this like incredible in the marketplace training from the people that built twitter about how to use social media for change and linkedin you know it was a, it was amazing and it was a tiny little pool of us and since then now we have walmart has a you know sustainability initiative and and you know ikea has impact and everybody like it's everywhere Google has, you know, and now it's become such a popular conversation in particular in terms of like 
bringing in time, treasure, and talent, as a mentor of mine in the impact investing world calls it, right? If you want to keep people in an organization, you have to give at least the appearance. Notice what I just said. You have to give mm -hmm. at least the appearance of paying attention to these things. Walmart, Google, whomever, right? Car companies. So that's been in the past 15 years from like, we don't even know what to call it and how to find each other to like any business of any size and even lots of small ones have sustainability policies, impact policies, and young people demanding, if I am going to stay here, we are going to have things in place where whether it's recycling or looking at our carbon you know, footprint and how do we begin to offset it massive amounts of time and energy has gone into that in the past 15 years. And 15 years ago, big companies wouldn't even talk about it publicly. They were just doing it all behind, not none, but you know, there's Patagonia. There were a few outliers, but 15 years ago, there were very few companies of any size or scale that were willing to have these conversations. And now it's everywhere. Mm. It's interesting to me as well how the language is changing because I remember back, you know, probably about 10 or 15 years ago where I was just kind of tiptoeing into this space a little bit through my leadership work. And it was all about sustainability, you know, corporate sustainability. And now we're starting to see these new words emerging like restorative right? So restorative leadership is a, is a thing now. And then now we're even getting regenerative leadership. It's almost like we're realizing the deeper we go into this space, we realize it's not just stopping doing the things that create harm, but we've actually got to make right what we've done. Hikun alum, we have to work to repair <laughs> the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot since my journey into Ecuador with the indigenous people is this idea that change, um, particularly sacred change, begins within. What's your sense of that, Paul, in this space? Yeah, I've done quite a range of journeying in that. Um, that absolutely feels true to me, Jane. And at other times, like how I lead and what roles I play have um, moved and shifted. So I've been a daily meditator, almost daily meditator for at least 30 years. I started when I was 17. I haven't been 100%, but for the last, I don't know how long, a very long time, at least six days a week. Um, very many sacred practices in my life. And it's just always been part of how I've navigated being sort of like that roomy quote, whoever brought me to this prison for drugs must come and take me home. Because like, again, it's like, wait, 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 humans. No, no, no. This isn't how we were meant to live. Like I had some sense of that when I was really young before I had any vocabulary, like, no, 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 no. We could like, people have lived here much more wisely and much more sustainable. And actually life is better, not worse when you live that way. Right. And I've had numerous examples. Um, and I live in New Mexico, which is not like it is in the U.S., but it's not like much of the U.S. And when I got here, I finally felt like, okay, not that things are perfect here, but, you know, we have the highest proportion of indigenous population, second highest, only Alaska has a higher proportion. It's called the land of enchantment for a reason. So when I got here, I was like, all right, 
all right, I, I think I could probably stay on planet Earth now that I found a place <laughs> that makes a little more sense to me. Um, and and that's one of the people come here to New Mexico and they say, this isn't like anywhere else I've ever been. And when you, I've had the blessing and continue to have the blessing to have lots of different kind of projects and friendships with indigenous peoples here. When you talk to what are people feeling when they come here from elsewhere? Like, Paul, people have been living intentionally here for thousands of years, and we're still here. The people of Taos Pueblo are still living in the same building that they were living in a thousand years ago, and they're still drinking water out of the same wells that they were drinking. Um, much of indigenous culture, at least in North America, has been disrupted from the place that the mm. people and, and indigenous people in the place where they've been practicing deeply for a long time, they say you're feeling the care and the love and the ritual of our ancestors, right? And um, there's things we can tell you and there's things we can't tell you, but the bottom line is just know this ground has been walked on for thousands of years with care and intent. And um, when I got here, I was one of those people said, I don't know what it is about this place, but um, I got here in October of 93 and I never left. I traveled, but I've never left. Um, and it's it. So I share that as a way to say, this is a very deep part of my practice. And um, these days I more tend to get invited into conversations from the more gritty social entrepreneur and I got recruited, like I'm doing all this stuff I didn't expect to do, Jay, and I'll give you an example. <laughs> I got recruited to be a consultant for New Mexico Angels, the largest network of angel investors, early stage investors in New Mexico. But the person who recruited me started the largest B Corp to ever come out of the Southwest. Um, mm -hmm. It's called Meow Wolf. And Drew recruited me to be, so he knows who I am and he wants that in the conversations about the early stage startup companies that, you know, at least some of them have very deep intense uh, intentions around whether it's climate solutions or um, working with indigenous cultures and bringing uh, startup capital to businesses that were started by native peoples. Anyway, so, but like I get invited in because I'm a community builder and to help grow and bring more money to this organization. So they didn't say, Paul, teach us how to meditate. Paul, teach us about sacred practices, a change community. They're like, Paul, help us raise more money. But they picked me or they recruited me because the people who are in charge know that they know my history and mm. they know that impact and also the, I try to bring depth to everything mm. I do. So earlier I led more with the inner and tried to bring in the outer. And now these days, because I've been at it for a while, I'm getting asked for some very, you know, will you hire me to, can I consult with you to start an impact podcast? Can I, you know, mm -hmm. I need to get some funding. I need to think about scaling. I need to bring on another leader and I'm not sure uh, exactly how to articulate the role I'm looking for because it doesn't look like a typical CTO, COO, CFO. It's a little bit of all that, but it's also an impact brand. And I'm not sure how to language that. So I get I get hired for and brought in with very clear 
project goals and tasks, but most of the people who hire me know that I have a pretty robust inner side of my work, mm. if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. And I, I want to pull out a few kind of underlying assumptions that are kind of underneath what you're explaining here. And I want to pull them out because they're still very alive for me, having been in the jungle for three weeks. Um, and the first one that I heard you talk about is a sense of place, right? Like having your feet on the ground, in the earth, like real relationship with the place in which you live much more so than just saying, you know, hey, I'm from Columbus or New York or wherever I'm from. And one of the things I've noticed coming back into the modern world, Paul, is how much we live encased in concrete, <laughs> right? And it's it's a little bit overwhelming for me still at the moment because I'm only a few days back. And it's like, oh, yeah. wow, like yeah. this sense of place, this sense of sacredness in the place in which we live, the connection to nature. I'm hearing you say all of that in the way that you're speaking about New Mexico. So that feels really strong. The second thing that I really heard you speak to, which is very different, I think, in, in many business and leadership roles, is this idea of listening deeply to where the work wants to take you. Because I'm hearing you speak about, oh, and then this happened, and then this is, you know, I'm being called in here, and I'm being called in there, rather than Paul's got a business strategy that he's going to implement and work the plan, right? <laughs> Which is what a lot of us do. So there's these like subtle, I'd even call them subtle intelligences that you that is running the way that you are in the world that's very different to the way other leaders, let's say, operate in business. Does that make sense? <laughs> it, it does. It does. And a couple of <laughs> thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, you know, one is there's a lot of privilege in that, um, yeah. in, in that some of it is um, choice and some of it's just like, for instance, go to like, I never had any school debt. Um, some of that is because I chose to go to a state university and it was state university. When I went, I, my entire undergraduate in, uh, education, including room and board was under $8,000, right? Um, so I had some family help, but I also made some choice. So not having school debt mean, you know, I live in New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico is one of the more affordable, medium or larger size cities, you know, and I live simply. I, I tried to buy a one bedroom condo, but it wasn't quite the right fit. So I live in a simple two bedroom condo. And it's, I, I, I tease my girlfriend out. Sometimes I walk around like, you know, I'm a minimalist and I'm like, <laughs> how is that relevant to what you're saying? I've kept my overhead fairly low. Mm -hmm. So I'm not pressurized in terms of income so I can make space. And, and again, that's a indigenous strategy. Like, like take care of your needs, but try to keep your needs such that your monetary um, and other needs don't drive your life. Mm -hmm. Think about how your needs can get met and then you have room to live that way. And that's been some like internal like wow i grew up in a place there was a lot of excess and it didn't and the people weren't happy and they didn't have time to connect and i didn't want that contrasted with a place not that everything's perfect here because it's not but in general 
the average person that I meet in New Mexico has more time and space to say hi, and they want to know who you are, um, and um, would say that's a, the people who love it here would oftentimes say that's a common value that's not as easy to find in other places in the United States. So, so that way of living, there's some of it in my kind of wiring and what I didn't like growing up, but also living here in this place, it's more of a cultural value than most places in the United States. And I was like, that makes sense. Like I have plenty and I'd rather do work that feels meaningful and make sure I, I make enough money. I'm not going to starve. Right. Mm. Um, but I also don't need to make, uh, eight figures a year or even seven figures a year to take care of myself and my responsibilities to my family, um, partially because of where I live and partially because of how I live. That's made it easier to choose the thing that was more purposeful and more um, felt like impact, especially back in the day when larger companies weren't, you know, it was, it was pretty small, it was solos and twos and threes, micro businesses that were interested in this conversation for the most part. Now there are larger contracts and pools of monies and job opportunities that do come my way. But when I was starting, I, again, could afford to uh, make values and purpose a pretty high priority in a way that if I'd made different choices and I had a little bit less um, support than what I had, it would have been harder to do, to be mm -hmm. fair, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing you speak about like the values that are really important to you here. And one of the things I want to discuss with you before we end the conversation is this, like we both joked about it, like it's challenging to be in this space, right? I wonder if you can just walk us through some of the challenges you've noticed of, you know, holding these these values for social impact and equity and then and then walking through the modern world and still like navigating this space. I mean, I don't want to really call them polarities, but sometimes it feels that way to me. Super <laughs> you know? polarized, yeah, super polarized. Yeah, so like, what's that like? And how do you navigate, you know, kind of being at the edges of, I think of it sometimes of walking the edges of both worlds, but I don't know how you would express that, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I would say, how I thought about it early on is different, you know, when I was reinventing myself and getting into the social, how I thought about then and how I thought about it now is different. And a big part of the difference is I have community now um, through the podcast and just lots of years of working on, you know, I was at an event yesterday. I hadn't seen somebody for two and a half years and we worked on a social entrepreneur conference, one of the larger ones that had ever happened in New Mexico. We hadn't seen, we both got pulled in different directions. We saw, oh, so we made time to have coffee, right? <laughs> um, but I have, I, I can't even count, you know, like we haven't talked, Jane, I, know. I don't know how long. It's too long. <laughs> too long. But I, I literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of contacts. So um, that makes it, it, it's a, it's different. When I was on the outside looking in and wanting to get into this space and moving into this space, but not really being sure how it worked and where did I fit and who are my people and where was it like, wow, 
oh, that person has a lot of charge and they don't seem to like have my best interest or heart. They just seem to have a big agenda. And like, even though on the surface, we're talking about similar things, just stay away from that person is the best path. Like I didn't know how to navigate any of that 15 years, even 10 years ago, that was really hard. And now I'm part of multiple, multiple communities, large and small. So now like I, I can lean into that community and the opportunities that are coming, but also the challenges. It's like, well, how I, there's people I know who've navigated at least maybe similar things or I'm stuck. I have a mastermind buddy that I've been meeting with for nine years now. And we don't just talk business, but we talk like, you know, we get together in person at least twice a year and spend a weekend. And it's, it, so I, I have much more support and um, the opportunity to bounce ideas off and learn, you know, I'm in learning communities is what mm. a friend of mine would say. I'm in learning communities. And so the ability to harvest the wisdom of the crowd, to harvest the wisdom of community and not try to figure it all out myself makes uh, that's the biggest difference from where I am now to where I was 15 years ago because again we were just trying to figure out how to find each other and like would even do a google search on 15 years ago for the <laughs> thing that I was stuck with and now there's like whole dissertations on it and whole <laughs> webinars and um so yeah the the the, the it, there are a great many challenges um to be working on from the political polarization we're seeing to you know we have literal active wars uh, going mm. on in the world and the climate stuff is terrifying to anybody who's paying attention if you're not concerned you're not paying attention um so we have big big challenges but the difference is i feel like i'm in communities that care that get me that share really similar values and are really incredibly generous like okay cool you're hitting a hard spot you're working for impact basically open book anything i've learned what do you need and and vice versa i was on the phone call with a young person from a country where these young people are facing an incredible challenge from an oppressive regime and how they're navigating it um, and somebody in my network who put us in touch. And I just said, look, you tell me what you need, right? And he's like, oh, but I don't want to take too much of your time. I was like, you stop. You're, I'm not, you're not going to pay me anything. And you just tell me what you need because I understand what you're facing and you're doing really sacred work and how can I help? And that's happened to me more times than I can count. So it's an honor to be um in the other role at this phase and just like these young people are facing things that no human uh, should have to face, but they are. And I want to be that kind of a person in their journey. Um, so what do you need and how can I help? That's beautiful. And, you know, utterly human. That's what it feels like as you're speaking. It's like this reminder that, you know, we are here to support each other. Um, and and I I've also been in that space, um, particularly through the Ukraine war and and different things. And yet somehow, as an empath, I'll get off the phone and just go. I cannot believe what these humans are having to endure. Like it's so out of my world, my privileged world, that it's like almost unbelievable that we would do this to each other. And yet we do. 
So I love that you're in that space. I really do because such a necessary space for us to be in. So I do want to ask, like we're moving into 2024, like what are the trends that you're seeing in the impact business space as we kind of turn and face the new year? And yes, like you say, we've got wars that are alive in different parts of the country. There's massive oppression. There's all these things happening from climate change right the way through to, you know, people that are very unsafe in the places in which they live. I mean, what are you noticing in terms of how business is responding? I'm going to be a little more focused because I don't Mm. feel like I can speak for business as a whole. I'm going to speak to what I'm seeing in the social entrepreneur space because that's that's my community. Those are my people. So in that space... Because I do want to say part of what's happening is a lot of greenwashing and impact washing (laughs) and people trying to like, you know, get the camera to take a picture of them. Look how green we are, but don't really want to change. That's not my circus, not my monkeys. (laughs) Somebody else figured out that's not what I'm here on the planet to do. Don't got time for that. And if somebody like that calls me up, I just politely extract myself from the conversation. So my folks, the the folks who are doing really deep impact work where it's baked into the DNA of the business, not a sideshow, is, um, yeah, one of the things I'm seeing, again, young people, like, I I keep talking to people who are struggling in in more traditional business. We're seeing people, like, leaving, and yes, I'll take the job, and then they don't even show up, or they're there for two months, and they barely even didn't even get onboarded yet, and then they're leaving. The, the people who are showing up in, in a very well-designed impact baked into the DNA of the business, like they're, the people are knocking at their door wanting to work there. The level of skill and talent of um, folks, for instance, there's a, a very large community called Work on Climate System, and um, it's like a crowdsourced way for smart people, mostly in the with tech skills, to get into doing climate solution work. Whether you're an engineer or a programmer, or a, you, you've got financial skills, right? Um, it's like, and it's a really common policy in that world for people to have an open door policy. In other words, I'll meet with anybody with a good degree of skills and help you do everything possible to start working on climate because the world's on fire. Um, so, like that the the level of talent and really deep skill sets like 15 years ago it was more common for somebody who would say i want to help um but they didn't have a well-developed skill set or at least they weren't thinking about how to apply it to the impact and now the impact world the social entrepreneur world has grown to the point where there are, you know, I've interviewed people from my podcast, they're running thousand person business, you know, seven figure, eight figure, nine figure, 10 figure businesses. So every role you could possibly imagine from computer program to finance, from HR to marketing, every role can find a, every skill set can find a way to plug in. Whereas 15 years ago, it was a lot of startup kind of, um, environments and it was harder for somebody to say i got this skill set now how do i plug in 
really the way you plugged in 15 years ago is you started something or you joined an early startup team. And what's more true now is we've got incredibly robust, smart businesses doing really awesome work. And if you want to plug in and you've got some good skills, there's a way to do that in a way there didn't used to be. Mm, I love that. I really do. That that gives me such hope for the future. Um, so, Paul, it just leaves me to ask you, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before we finish? Just highlight a couple things I've already mentioned. Community, right? The mental health challenges of live, being a human alive right now are off the charts, right? Just look at the numbers, anxiety, depression, right? People who are navigating these hard times well have community of people that they can share with you. So, gosh, you know, wow, I heard this thing or I talked to this person and it was it was hard. Right? It was really hard. Um, so that's one. And two skills. It's one thing to want to be a change maker and bring an intent to want to help to the table. The other is like for me, I started with marketing. I got on Twitter in 2008 and realized People wanted to learn. We didn't even know what it was called, but social media marketing, right? That's how, like, okay, I could provide value to a small business, you know, usually pretty early on, uh, uh, some sort of impact uh, startup would say, okay, now we got our thing, but how are we going to tell the world? You know, I got podcasting skills and all kinds of skills I picked up along the way, but look at your skill set. Don't just look at the desire to change. That's great. But do an honest assessment of what skills do you already have and how might that apply? And if you're saying, well, I'm not sure the skills I have are going to get me where I want to go, then cool. What are both traditional, but also non-traditional? Everything, you know, Google does free stuff on like search engine optimization that are awesome programs for free because they want people to, you know, so you can learn marketing skills and leadership skills. So anyway, do an honest assessment. What skills do you have and how might that fit into the ecosystem and keep learning? You know, I, I, these days, I'm spending less and less time on social media because one of the things I'm doing is I learn a lot. I, I spend a lot of time learning whether that's what's the next uh, thing I can try in the garden, which has nothing to do with my paid work. Or like I said, I got recruited to be in this investing organization. I'm on the entrepreneur side for 15 years, but don't really know that much about investing. They recruited me for my sales and community building skills. So past nine months, I've been like deep dive into impact investing. What do the terms mean? And like just asking anybody who will talk to me questions and <laughs> listening to podcasts and reading books, right? Just do an honest assessment. What are your skills now? And what are some skills that you could build formally or informally in terms of the environments that'll make you more val valuable to the kinds of organizations and the kinds of people you want to help? Lovely. Beautifully said, Paul. Thank you. And thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I have loved our conversation. I knew I would. I always do. Mm. And I know our listeners will have learned so much from you. So thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me, Dane. And congratulations for doing this full time. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I, yeah, big, con not easy change, but congratulations. Yeah. No, thank you. 
Well, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to the members of the Sacred Changemakers Inner Circle, who are our podcast sponsors, and also our extended community, who are helping us to make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that maybe you too have an impact calling, maybe you're here to make that bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love. 